Judge Eric Norris, thanks for dropping in this morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and why, first of all, how you got this job and why you want it now on a full-time basis. Well, I think I got this job based on uh, a number of years of experience. I had a law practice for 21 years that uh, dealt with all the issues that are in Superior Court. We had uh, real estate disputes, divorces, custody, uh, automobile accidents. I handled criminal law. Uh, and then in 2004, I was selected by the Superior Court judges of the circuit uh, to serve as the chief magistrate judge of Oconee County while I still practice law. And when the legislature created the new fourth Superior Court position, I applied, and I believe that those qualifications uh, brought me to this place, and I've had the honor and privilege of serving in the circuit, which is Athens and Oconee, for over two years on the Superior Court bench. And I would like to continue uh, making those changes in the lives of our citizens in the two counties. You know, one of the things, and Judge Norris in studio with us this morning, the election, as we say, 11 days away, early voting uh, today and tomorrow, a Saturday session and all of uh, next week. Uh, one of the things I always like to say, so much of a lot, really, but especially our views of the courtroom and what goes on in courtrooms, shaped by, unfortunately, what we see, TV and movies. It doesn't always give an accurate representation. I've seen it up close a few times, covered a few trials over the years, jury duty, a few times over the years. Honestly, if I'm being really candid here, a lot of it, it actually is boring. And what it comes down to me is it's a job. Just like anybody else shows up at work every day, you interact with coworkers. In your case, you interact with the public. Uh, but it's 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 a job, and it, it requires a degree of proficiency, training, expertise, all those things. At the end of the day, though, it's, it's just another job. Well, it is a job. I mean, I think uh, that is correct. It's a uh... I mean, it's an honorable job. You're, you're entrusted with the lives of people, responsibility for decisions that you make are going to affect their lives, affect the community. And so you don't take that lightly, but uh, it is a very hard job, too. Uh, I don't want to say that, uh, you know, there's anything easy about making decisions about when a parent uh, is going to lose custody or how they're going to do child support or whether uh, you know someone is going to go to prison, those those kind of decisions affect our community every day, and so I don't ever take it lightly uh, when I walk into that courtroom. In fact, I, I always say that I would much rather people come in knowing that they have, and I believe they have that confidence in me that they know there's someone that they can trust who's going to look at their case, and based on that experience I spoke of just a few moments ago. Uh, that they have faith and confidence in what the court's going to do. You know, and again, Judge North, those are the parts of it that we see. This business about sentencing that killer to life plus 50 or whatever, that's what we see. So much of your job, too, that we don't see, it's a lot of management, administrative management, managing that caseload, those massive caseloads that even with the fourth judgeship, you guys still, I'm sure, with crowded dockets. Uh, talk about that part of the job for a moment. Sure. Uh Half of our caseload is a civil caseload, and about half of it is criminal. I mean, it varies from year to year based on uh, we don't get to control who files a case and how often they may uh, file a matter in the clerk's office. But uh, there is a lot of time management, and luckily, uh, I've never been accused of being idle. And so when I was uh, in practice, you know, I had a law practice, so I was representing clients for 21 years, people in the community. I was uh, serving as a magistrate judge, which required me to be on call 24-7, and I did that for 11 and a half years. And at the same time, I serve and still serve in the Georgia Army National Guard. I'm in my 33rd year. 
And you don't get to uh, be successful unless you have good time management skills and able to multitask. And so I think I've brought that experience. And quite honestly, you know, having three jobs at one time for a number of years, uh, coming into the courts, I felt like day one, I had a great grasp on how to make the courts work, work better. And uh, I mean, we average about 1,750 cases a year. That's, you know, an average over about a three-year period of time. And uh, I can tell you, we don't have backlogs in our court. We're always pushing to make sure that people have access and they have timely access. To what extent uh, do we, to what extent could we, moving forward, use technology to expedite some of this? I'm thinking of, you know, video arraignments, those sorts of things. To what extent do we use those sorts of things, and, and how might we do it moving forward? Um you know, there's always a great thing about technology, but also you can lose a certain personal touch. And I, I think it's, I personally like having people in front of me so I can hear, uh, I can talk to them. I can feel like I'm actually getting a reading about that person. I see their family in the courtroom. And whether that's a civil case or a criminal case, we do have technology where you can do some remote arraignments, um, really the more for bond hearings. Those are mm-hmm. probably more appropriate to have video bond hearings versus uh, contested divorce cases or uh, criminal matters that you have to make decisions on motions. I mean, technology is great, but also there is a just a certain human element about what we do, and I, I really don't want to lose that touch with uh, people. Speaking of getting people face-to-face, uh, I want to mention this because it says here you'll be taking part in this uh, tomorrow. You've been doing this uh, with Judge Quick now uh, for a while. Now, these access to justice clinics, the one tomorrow, 9 to 11, at the Pinewoods Library there off Highway 29 North. Uh, it says here, Judge Quick, you, uh, Superior Court Judge uh, Patrick Haggard, the Magistrate Judge, Judge Barron, Judge Hope, uh, UGA law school students, George Legal Services on hand. What are these things? You've been, this will be the number six. What are these? Sure. Uh, Debbie Finch, who is the family law chair for the Western Circuit Bar Association, um, basically in conjunction with the Bar Association, the, the judges are there to help with, we can't give advice, we're there to uh, just let people know about the process and procedures and, and the access to the courts. This is really where the attorneys have stepped up in our community. They can come out, they volunteer their time, and we have attorneys from all practice areas, real estate, divorce, uh, disability. They are donating their time. On a to, Saturday, and, no On less. a Saturday <laughs> for two, three hours. And we have people that line up a half hour, 45 minutes early for the location, wow. and they come in and, you know, first time we had maybe more attorneys than uh, citizens, but then uh, the last time we had this, I think we had somewhere between 65, 70 people uh, come in on a Saturday morning, and, and I can tell you, people were very appreciative, but it's really the lawyers that are out there donating their time, and it brings the community together, and it gives an opportunity for people to have some access to the courts that maybe otherwise they couldn't afford to do. Yeah, again, uh, tomorrow, the, this uh, sixth in this series of access to justice clinics, nine tomorrow morning, nine to 11, at the Pinewoods Library and Learning Center that is off Highway 29 North. The politics of this, uh, obviously two people in the race. We had uh, your challenger, Allison Maldon, a week or so ago. I'm curious here, that now her husband, and we all know this, uh, Ken Maldon, the district attorney, uh, won his uh, post back in, I think it was the year 2000, been in that job for a while now says that if she wins, he will resign. I would not want to be in a position, obviously, of having to deal with his wife as a judge. But it just occurs to me, you've, I, I assume, have had to deal with him as the DA since she announced as a candidate. for. What's that been like? 
Uh, I mean, it's professional. I, I always make sure that whether it's uh, private attorneys, a district attorney, or anybody else, uh, that uh, I handle the court the same way. Um, you know, their, that decision within their family, I, I don't want to question what their decisions are. Obviously, we have a, a contested race. Uh, but with that, I'm just going to do my job every day that I've done for the last two years in the professional way that uh, I believe serves the citizens of this community. Uh, I was talking with Judge Quick, who is also running for a, a full term as a judge. Of course, she was appointed last year. Uh, one of the things that, that she's finding out, and I guess you're finding out too, this is not like running in her case where she ran for the legislature uh, for a couple of three times and was successful. It's not that kind of a campaign. It's a different kind of campaign. She finds herself, she tells me, uh, saying very often, and the questions that people ask, I, I can't comment on that. I might have to rule on that. That might be something that comes before me as a judge. It, it sounds like a real challenge to, to run for a judicial seat. It is. Uh, I mean, this is a nonpartisan uh, judgeship, and it's always been that way. Uh, you know, there is not a Democratic or Republican divorce or custody case. There's not a Democratic or a Republican burglary case. Uh, but, uh, obviously, people are, are out uh, running for other uh, seats that are partisan, and so I think voters really don't understand what it is to be nonpartisan, and that really just means that we're fair and impartial, and we're limited. I, when I became a judge in 2004, I had to cede a certain part of my First Amendment rights uh, to say that I have to hold myself uh, accountable to the people and also to the judicial code. So if people ask me, what's your position on X subject, Y subject, uh, if it's something that I'm going to have a, you know, a potential hearing on, uh, it's better to defer and say, look, I'm going to follow the law, I'm going to listen to the facts, and I'm going to give a ruling based on the law. Now, I, I know that sometimes can be hard for people to really chew through, but uh, I don't think anybody ever wants to walk into a courtroom with uh, the idea that the judge has already made a decision based on some kind of party affiliation or decision that they like one law or another. We don't get the privilege of liking a law or disliking law. Our duty is to uh, apply the law. If, if laws need to be changed, that is our uh, legislature's uh, responsibility and the citizens that can vote to make uh, changes in the legislative process. Uh, now, that's one understanding of the law. That's your understanding of the law and your, your job in applying the law. There there are those allegations that are hurled around from time to time. I'm sure you've heard the phrase activist judges or an activist court. Uh, we hear it frequently in relation to maybe some appeals court someplace or even the U.S. Supreme Court. It Typically, it seems to be my observation is that's usually that accusation hurled by somebody who didn't like the way the ruling came down. Uh, that said, though, you talk about being fair and unbiased and the rest of it. That's a wonderful ideal that you're still a human being. Sure. How do you walk into that courtroom and then how, what's the process of setting aside the biases that you have, that I have, that we all have? How do you set that stuff aside when you put on that rope? Well, one, I think it's because I've had 21 years of representing people in all the situations that come before Superior Court. And so when I was an attorney, I might not always agree with my client, but I had a duty to zealously uh, advocate for them and to plead my case to the court and ask for the court to make a ruling on the law. And then when I became a magistrate judge in 2004, I found myself in that position where, you know, I had to make decisions. And it's hard to sit in judgment of people's actions. And you don't take that lightly. And you actually place yourself many times saying, if I am that person what would I want out of that judge? And so I daily I make myself have a reminder that uh, you, you remove yourself from the situation. 
and you have to put on and then we talk about you know i don't wear a robe every day mm. but you cloak yourself in the law and you cloak yourself with the understanding that it is such a deep responsibility and you never want to lose that trust or the confidence in the court's ability to be separate from uh, the executive's uh, branch, the legislative branch. So I, I daily just make that oath to myself uh, because I feel like it's so important. What has been, uh, again, you were appointed to this post, uh, the, the judgeship created back in 2016, appointed by the governor to the, the position that you have now, and you're seeking now a full term. In the time that you've been on that bench, uh, preceded by those years, as you pointed out, some work as a magistrate, but that's, it's a different level of court now. So what what has surprised you? What, I, didn't, I didn't see this coming. What has surprised you in the last couple of years? Um, I mean, I, I would say I'm not really surprised because I spent 21 years practicing in those courts. Um, you know, if anything, it is, uh, you know, there is a just a certain level of cases that you see on a regular basis, obviously custody, divorce, uh, and then the criminal charges, uh, cases that we come uh, and have to make decisions on. I mean, those are a, a constant daily uh, matter that we have. But it's not really surprising. I think it's just a matter that um, that's what you you should know going into this job is that there's a lot of work that has to be done daily. Um, so for me, you know, having been a trial attorney for 21 years, uh, having represented people for 21 years, having done civil cases, criminal cases for 21 years, and then uh, my combined judicial experience. I felt very comfortable coming in on the very first day. The very first day I actually had a divorce trial. So uh, that wasn't really surprising. Uh, any difference in dynamic? There, There's that lawyer over there. You were arguing against that guy last month, and now he's standing in front of you, and you're the judge. What's that dynamic like? Uh, for me, it wasn't really that difficult because when I first came on as a magistrate judge in 2004, I would. Uh, it was a part-time position, which means I still got to practice law. I stopped doing my criminal practice essentially at that point and just focused on civil so there wouldn't be conflicts of interest. And literally, I could sit there and have a case in front of me in the morning, have to make a ruling. Uh, and then the afternoon, I might be uh, uh, fighting a case with the same attorney that <laughs> I ruled against. And that attorney, you know, if their facts were good and their, their law was good, they could beat me. I, I, you know, I think for 11 and a half years that I served as a magistrate judge, when I had the opportunity to be considered for the Superior Court bench, uh, there were plenty of people who could have said he doesn't have the temperament, the personality, the experience, the knowledge to serve on that. I think the fact that I have such overwhelming support from people, citizens, uh, attorneys, but really the, the community that they know that I came onto the bench without having to uh, sit there and explain myself why I made yeah, a ruling. You use that word, Judge Norris. I was going to go there anyway. That word temperament and that phrase that we hear so often, judicial temperament, what does that mean to you and what is yours? Well, people are typically, when they come to a courtroom, it's only for about four or five reasons. They're a juror or a grand juror. And... Uh, or they've been charged with a crime, or they've sued somebody, or they're getting sued. Mm -hmm. If they're in those latter categories, their lives are not really good at that point in time. Their, their world stops, and when it, uh, they're upset, they're scared, uh, you know, fear sometimes comes into their hearts about what's going to happen. And temperament means you have to have just a, uh, almost sometimes a patience of uh, Job, as they would say. Mm -hmm. People want to tell you their, their side of the case. You have to be patient. Uh, people get upset. People say some of the most uh, awful things in a courtroom. Uh, and you have to be able to sit there and just have a measure about you and realize they're having a bad day. 
Uh, and But that doesn't influence how you should rule. And so I try to make sure that people know they have the freedom to be there. I mean, we have the First Amendment speech that people say often. <laughs> and, you know, it's not necessarily appropriate for young children's ears. 